I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, which is interesting given um, when we look at the context of 2 Corinthians and before we get into chapter 3, Paul is making a, a case for his ministry and not just his ministry, but I think the other apostles' ministry as well. And as he gets into chapter 3, he says, look, I'm not going to commend myself to you again. We don't need to commend ourselves to you again. But he ultimately gets to the place where he says, your lives themselves are the testimony of our ministry. And the change that's happened in you is the testimony of our ministry and the validity of it. And then as, as he continues to talk about that, he, he, he brings up this phrase, new covenant. And now Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so this isn't a rabbit trail like I can go on at times. This was a sanctified rabbit trail. But that shoots Paul off onto a, a rabbit trail about... Old Covenant, New Covenant. And he begins talking about that. And so he begins talking about how the Old Covenant came with glory. And indeed it came with glory. And he specifically talks about the Old Covenant that came with glory at Mount Sinai. And if we had time, we could go back and we could read about a shaking mountain and people purifying themselves and being separated from that. And we could talk about fire and smoke and lightning and Moses going up on that mountain and all that happened. There was for sure glory there, so much so that Paul references Moses coming back down off of that mountain, Exodus 34. And after this is after the second journey up the mountain. Uh, and he, and in that second journey up the mountain, Moses pleads with the Lord and he says, I want to see your glory. And so what does the Lord do? Yeah, he puts him in the cleft of the rock, covers him with this hand, declares to him that I am, I am the Lord. The Lord who's, who's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And Moses sees the, 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 the backside, if you will, of God's glory. And we're told that when he comes down off of the mountain, his face is shining. So much so that Aaron is freaked out and the rest of the Israelites are freaked out. And uh, eventually, what does Moses do? He puts on a veil. He puts on a veil to cover his face. And then it says that when he would go into that tent of meeting and he would speak to God, he would remove the veil and he would communicate with God. And then he'd put the veil back over to communicate the commands of God to his people. And so Paul takes and he's using these things uh, to talk about the glory that the old covenant came in, but then he says that the new covenant came in even greater glory. The image that I kind of have in my mind, if you've ever been in a dark room and you like light a candle in the dark room, it looks nice and bright. There's light to it, right? And it looks nice and bright until you flip the lights on, then what happens? Well, that candle is still putting out light, but the light of that candle is totally dwarfed by the lights that come on in the room. There was light, there was glory in the Old Covenant. But that glory pointed to the one who would ratify the New Covenant, and that was Jesus Christ. And when He showed up and that light went off, as Paul eventually says, it was a permanent covenant, that that, that glory far surpassed the glory that had been there before. Well, all of that leads us to verse 12 where we want to dive in. And I trust me, we'll get to how this fits in with this book on all. So let's look at verse 12. That's kind of where we end up. Paul's just said, talked about the permanent, that this, this new covenant is permanent. And then he goes into verse 12 and he says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, 
But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they hear the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Now, that fits so well with what we've talked about this evening. Paul's taking a very, a literal story, something that happened, using it as an illustration now to say this is what happens. Even when the old covenant is read, what, what happened? What's happening? That veil that was over Moses' face, now Paul is using as an illustration to say that there is a veil, and as we'll see in the next verse, a veil that's over the heart of the Jewish people, over the hearts of the Israelites. So he said, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. For the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Like we've heard this evening, the only way for that veil to be removed from a Jewish heart is through faith in Christ. It's no different for you and me. Uh, It's the same thing. We have that veil removed only through faith in Christ. The completed work of Christ by the work of the Spirit, that's the only way that veil can be removed. Now, that part of things, Paul is talking about what we might call salvation, or we might call uh, our conversion, right? That's the moment when we put our faith in Christ, and that veil is removed. We're forgiven of our sins, we're justified, we're regenerated, and we're adopted into God's family. It's done, it's complete, the veil is gone. But now he's going to continue using that illustration, but he's going to move on to something else. So, verse 18, he says, And we all with unveiled face, so if our faces are unveiled, given the illustration, we stick with the context, then what type of people are we talking about here? Saved people. Okay? The veil is only removed by Christ, only removed by turning to the Lord, only removed by the power of the Spirit. Okay, so these are saved people. That's how the veil is gone. So, they have unveiled faces. Behold, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, how in the world does all of this fit into where we've been in in this book on all? Well, what we get in verse 18 is another part of what at times Paul would call salvation. See, when Paul talks about salvation, sometimes he talks about salvation as that one-time event where we put our faith in Christ, we're forgiven, justified, regenerated, and adopted into God's family, and thus we're saved. Sometimes when Paul talks about salvation, he talks about what we're all waiting for who've put our faith in Christ and the glorification that's to come when Christ returns, like was sung about this evening. We will be glorified, our sinful bodies will be done away with. But in there's a process in between what's already happened and what we're waiting for. And what's that process called? Sanctification. And that's where Paul is now. Those who've, who's, the, the veil has been taken away because they've put their faith in Christ. He's now speaking of a process of sanctification, of growth that needs to take place. And so that's what chapter 9 is, is entitled. He entitles it growth. But essentially what he's talking about is, is sanctification. 
I think this passage is, is important though because when we talk about sanctification, we're not simply talking about doing away with bad habits and replacing them with good habits. We're not talking about becoming nice, good, southern gentlemen or ladies and having good manners. We're talking about something way, way bigger than that. In fact, there's, as, as, as Paul Tripp mentions in, in, in the book, he, he, he says this, he says, we'll never understand what God is doing right here, right now, until we understand what sin does to the way that our hearts function. We'll never understand what God is doing in us right now in the process of sanctification until we understand what sin has done in our hearts or is doing in our hearts. One of the verses that, that, that Paul Tripp uses throughout the chapter is, is just a few chapters over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15 where Paul says this and he died for all that being Christ of course that those who live might no longer live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised so before Christ what's our condition who are we living for ourselves now in this verse, I don't think that, that uh, this is simply describing the moment of salvation, but as we know in that moment of salvation, while we are given a new nature, we're still battling with our sin nature that is still oriented towards self. Towards self. It's not as though my issues and my sin struggles and my battles are only skin deep. That if all I need to do now that I'm saved is simply, I don't know, get in line with some, some, some good stuff, do, do right things, and, and it'll all be okay. There's a transformation that needs to take place like we saw in verse 18 of chapter 3 where he uses this language. He says what? We're being transformed. Did you notice what's happening there? For one, it's present tense. It's not past tense, it's present tense, but it's also passive. The action, the subject is receiving the action for all of students that are in school. Well, grammar lesson there, passive voice. So, this isn't something that I'm doing to myself, it's something that's being done to me, but continually being done to me as I walk along. Paul Tripp says this on page 123, he says, if, if grace does not transform my motives, it will never alter my living. If grace does not transform my motives, it will never alter my living. Sanctification, Paul Tripp says, is really about the grace of God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, recapture our all for God and God alone. You see, that self-focus Paul Tripp describes it in the chapter, is all brokenness. Which he would say is, is where, because of sin, all of God is quickly replaced with all of self. All of self. I'm self-focused. My sin nature is self-focused. I'm living for myself. I'm thinking about myself. I'm putting myself first. And as Paul describes it here, the process of sanctification is as I behold the glory of God... I'm being transformed. 
Look over at Galatians chapter 5. This is something that, that, that Paul Tripp does in, in the chapter. We all know in Galatians chapter 5, what do we find there? The fruit of the Spirit, right? That's probably what we know it best for. But we also have another list in Galatians chapter 5 that might be called the fruit of the, of the flesh. So Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 Paul says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, if you just lift that one phrase out of there, by the Spirit, and you put almost anything else in there, you have every other religion in the world. Walk by this law and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk by this religious leader. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. But here again, the Spirit's doing for us what we're not capable of doing. For time's sake, we'll just drop down to verse 19 where Paul begins into this list of the fruits of the flesh, if you will. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now when we hear that list, what we might immediately think, as Paul Tripp says, is this is the list of the worst of the worst of the worst. Right? But when we think about that list, and we think about all that's put forward there, as Paul says, talks, he says these are, these are the works of the flesh, what's the orientation of all of those things? Self. Self. One of the things that we see in our day and time, probably more than any other, is a sexual revolution. And one of the interesting things as we look at the orientation of our culture, of the United States in regard to sexuality, almost the sole question is simply the question of whether or not this is what I want to do. As long as you have two people who are compliant, that's it. The only thing that's wrong is if someone involved wasn't compliant, but when you get to that point, what's the focus? It's a total... Focus on self. It's about my pleasure, my satisfaction, what I want. Well, then when we look down at this list of the fruit of the Spirit that we know well, starting in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What's the orientation of, of these fruits I mean think about love how do we end up loving others yeah it starts with a a God focus does it not the two greatest commandments the first being what love the Lord your God it starts here with an outward orientation not an inward orientation and thus these fruits in Our lives are produced by the Spirit as our focus is is on the Lord. We probably already know these things. And the first time I read through this chapter, uh, before I even read it, I knew these things about sanctification. That sanctification isn't something that's just a matter of conforming to good standards. I knew that already. 
I know that when I see fruit of sin in my life that I need to trace it to a root that, that it, uh, we're not just in the business of, uh, of behavior modification. I, I knew that already. But what I needed to be reminded of, or one thing that I was reminded of as I, as I worked through this, was to be reminded, first of all, that I need to not be lazy in the work of thinking about where the sin fruit in my life is coming from. I have this temptation to do this with my children. Parents, you don't have to confess if you're with me in this. But they do something wrong, and in the moment, I've got a lot of other things going on. And I know... That it's not just as simple as correcting their behavior, but man is it sure easy to correct their behavior as opposed to take the time to try and trace with them how that traces back to their heart and deal with the heart issue that's involved. It's easier to smack their hand and to say, stop it, than it is to take the time to consider where this is coming from and at some point to sit down with them and talk to them about the heart issue that's involved. Well, the truth of the matter is I do the same thing with myself. I do the same thing with myself. I've always thought about that after reading parenting books. You know, you're not supposed to do that. But I realize I do the same thing with with myself. I see a sin in my life. I realize for whatever reason I'm, I'm getting frustrated with my wife and I'm raising my voice. This is totally hypothetical. Totally hypothetical. It's never really happened. But I've heard it happens. So I find myself raising my voice with my wife and then I resolve one day because I know that that's wrong and what do I decide to do? Stop it. I just got to stop it. I got to stop it. I'm going to count to ten. I'm going to, I don't know, put my head in the freezer. I've never tried that one, but supposedly that's supposed to help. I don't know. I'm going to do something and I'm not going to raise my voice with my wife. That's wrong. It's bad. And maybe even in my mind what I'm thinking is, you know, one day I'm going to be yelling at her and somebody's going to see it. And then I'm going to be embarrassed. It's going to be horrible. You know, what would Justin think? And so I conform myself. And then I run on with life because it's so busy and I've got so many other things to do. And I never take the time to stop and go, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. This isn't just simply a matter of addressing this fruit of sin in my life. Where is this coming from? What's going on in my heart? And so I leave it at that and I don't ask myself what's going on in my heart. I don't ask myself, as Paul talks about here in, 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 in verse 18 of Second Corinthians chapter 3, what is it that I'm failing to see about God and His glory? What is it that I'm failing to see to believe to be true about God? Or what is it that I'm believing about God that's not true? That needs to change. How is it that I'm failing to behold His glory and who He is so that I can be transformed by this truth? Because if that doesn't change, then what's going to happen? Well, I might stop raising my voice to my wife, but I might start with my children. Or I might skip over my family and just breathe out wrath on everyone that drives on the same road as me. Right? Again, these are things that we know, and, and, and I, even after I wrote that down in, in, in my notes and I thought about that, I thought, you know, that, that's something we know. We know that. But here was something that, that really challenged me as I thought about that. I thought, you know what, I think one of the reasons as I read through and, and, and looked at Second Corinthians chapter 3, I said, you know what, one of the things that I, the reasons that I don't take the time to trace some of these things down 
is because I don't, I don't think at moments I'm really convinced that God is able to change me. You see, when we read this passage and when I'm telling you that the veil is only removed by, by the work of, of God, by, by faith in Christ, by the work of the Spirit, all of us, or hopefully all of us, are here and we say, Amen, I believe that. Yes. Hallelujah. I mean, you didn't say that, but I'm assuming maybe on the inside. It was like a quiet hallelujah. You said that. You said, yes, I believe that. All right, I, amen to that. Yes, I believe that. Because we're quick to say, yes, we believe in a God who has the ability to save someone. When we say that, we say, yes, I believe God has the ability to save someone who has never trusted in Him. And when they put their faith in Him, He'll save them from their sins. And they'll be justified. And they'll be adopted into His family. And they'll be regenerated. Yes, I believe that. Hallelujah. Quiet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right? And we say amen to those things. When we get down to verse 18 and we begin talking about this ongoing transformation and I think about the sins in my life. And I read, wait a second, this this same God who was powerful to save past tense, that moment I put my faith in Him, is the same God who with that same power, that same glory is capable of present tense saving me in the process of sanctification. I forget that. To be honest, at times I doubt that. I don't know what your week was like. I don't know what you walked through. I am almost 100% certain that you struggled with sin this week. And I'm almost 100% certain that at times you failed at that battle. I don't know whether there's a sin in your life, maybe something like gossip that's become, as Jerry Bridges calls, an acceptable sin. And so we don't think of it as that bad. And you know that you probably shouldn't be saying the things that you say about other people when they're not around. And you know that you have a hidden agenda in there. And there's, there's kind of a way in which you, you kind of feel good as you're able to put other people down. Maybe you've coded it in that, that classic way of saying, I just want you to pray for them. But really when you think about it, you're not certain you could stop yourself if you wanted to. Or maybe it's a sin that you're embarrassed of. Maybe, maybe it's something that's not acceptable. It's far outside of the realm of acceptability. Maybe at some point this week you were up when no one else was up and you were looking at things that you would be embarrassed if people in this room found out that you were looking at. You were watching a program. You were on a website. You were reading a book that was filling your mind with images and filth that were gratifying your sexual desires. And when you think about that, you think of the failure, the defeat, the filth. But in the midst of all that, you fail to see a God who is so glorious and powerful that He is able to transform and to save, present tense save, you from that. Now, what I'm saying, I'm not saying that there are sins in our lives and if we just get the right mindset, we'll never struggle with sin again. That day is coming. Down down the road. But it is to say, and what I needed to be reminded of, is that the same God who I'm putting all of my faith in for eternity 
that he's justified me and adopted me and given me a new nature in that same way, that same glorious, awesome power that Justin preached about this morning and we are ready to take hopefully to the nations and that we we are excited about is the same God with the same power who's working in the continual process of salvation and sanctification. Therefore, every time I see sin in my life, I can run to Him in the same way that I ran to Him in the beginning. That first moment I came to, I realized, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I ran to Him and I put my trust nowhere else. And I said, you and you alone can forgive me of this. You and you alone can deal with this in my life. I can run to Him in that same way. So my question this evening is is just simply that. How are you doing in that process of sanctification? Are you doing the labor in the midst of our really, really busy society? Do you know I've been back for like four months or something now. Every time I ask somebody how they're doing, I have yet to find someone who tells me they really have nothing to do. They're just kind of lazing around. Everybody's busy all the time in one way or another. So in the midst of all that busyness, are you doing the labor that we know we need to be doing of looking at the fruit of sin in our lives and tracing it back to our heart. And when you get there, are you taking the time to behold our glorious God who is powerful enough to transform us? It is His glory and His glory alone. Because if I look inward, if I, when I do that exercise, when I look at why I'm raising my voice at my wife, and I look at my heart and I see where that comes from, if I keep my focus there, examining me and how I'm going to deal with this, it's totally despairing. If I go to the world and to their recipes and remedies, no hope. The only hope comes as I look and I'm reminded of the glory and the awesome power of the God who saved me already, And is in the process of saving me now in sanctification. And will one day complete that process in glorification. So the question is, are you standing in awe of Him? As you work through this process of sanctification. Where in your life do you need to look to Him? Where in your life is the temptation to look away from Him? Don't, don't, don't look at God. You're, you're wrestling with, with pornography. Don't, don't look at Him. Your, your marriage is not good. Don't, don't look at Him. That's what the lie would be. But instead, Scripture says, no, look at Him. Because it's as we behold Him and we're reminded of His greatness, are we transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another, to another. Well, I don't know about you, but that was an encouragement to me. Just to be reminded of those simple truths. Things that I knew, but things that I need to be reminded of. And now I have a, a, already a, a, a list in mind of, of things I need to sit down with the Lord and think about. And remember that instead of looking away and trying to run and hide, I need to. what I really need is to stare full into the face of God's glory through His Word and our time in prayer and just say, Lord, how do You want to transform me? What's going on in me? 
Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful for the time that we've had together this evening. And I'm thankful for these simple but powerful truths about who you are. I'm thankful that you're not just the God who saves us uh, and secures us for eternity and abandons us. But you are the God who is... Um, who's working in us in the process of sanctification, that we don't come to you uh, by grace through faith only to try then on our own strength to work out our salvation, but it is rather you who works in us both to will and to do. And so I pray that you would help us this week to do the things that we know we should be doing as we see sin in our lives. Taking the time to... Uh, to trace it back to what's going on in our heart. Give us discernment in that. And then, Lord, help us in those moments not to shy away from what we find, but to have confidence in You. You are a God who is mighty to save and to sanctify and to glorify. All of our hope is in You. And I pray that this reminder this evening would, would just sit there and, and it would encourage us in those moments, not to turn away, but rather to look fully into your glory through your word and our times in prayer and to allow you to do that transforming work in us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.